Amen and amen. My, um, when I was um, back in, in Jacksboro one time, I was preaching, and as I was preaching, I made a comment that for every page of my notes, each page lasts about 10 minutes. So I know about how long a talk or a sermon is going to go based on how many pages I have. What I thought was fascinating is after that, there was this teenage girl that would come up to me every Sunday and she'd say, how many pages you got? (laughs) And I was was like, well, sometimes it's four, sometimes it's five. And one time I told her like six and she was like, oh, it's going to last an hour. I was like, well, you can at least do math. And so, (laughs) and so she was, she was like, oh, you know, well, when I look at my notes here today, uh, I have eight pages worth of notes. Now that doesn't mean it's going to be 80 minutes, but it does mean I'm going to be (laughs) real. I know everyone's going, uh, I got to go. But it does mean that I, there is a ton of information. And so I'm going to be reading a lot from my notes because I do not want to miss anything. Because we've been talking over the past two weeks about heaven. The first week we kind of went through a few misconceptions of heaven and kind of our perception of what we think heaven might be and also what scripture says heaven is and also we talked a little bit about what our culture says about heaven and how far off base our culture has misconstrued heaven and if you get your concept of heaven and about heaven from Hollywood then friend you are completely being misled okay if you get your theology of heaven from what the Hollywood uh, tycoons are, are giving you, it, that is not what Scripture is talking about. So we talked about that the first week. Last week we talked a little bit about the theology of heaven and, and why there is a heaven and how God created us to be eternal beings, right? He created us to be eternal beings and God desires, like we talked about last week, to dwell with His people forever here on this earth and so we talked about that now next week we are going to just hit six of the most common questions people have about heaven six of the most common questions that people have about heaven some of those questions are will we be bored in heaven that's that's a common question people want to ask will we be bored in heaven Okay, and so we'll have an answer to that. What will we know and what will we learn in heaven? There are some misconceptions about what we will know when we get there and what we will learn when we get there. There is a common misconception that people say, well, we'll know everything. That's not what Scripture tells us. And so we're going to dig into that and kind of unpack that a little bit. What will we do up there? Uh, What will the culture be like? Okay. Will we recognize people? That is a common question. And also, one of my favorite questions people ask is, uh, will animals be up there? And especially, will Fido or Fifi be up there? Or will my cat be up there? There are some people that believe that cats will not be in heaven. There are cat lovers that believe dogs will not be in heaven. Okay, I don't know, but I will, uh, I will, we will get to the answer to that question and unpack that. But for many of us, there are many different questions that we have about heaven. Now, before I get to the question of today, and today we're only going to talk about one question, and this is a very heavy question, but I kind of got to give you the mom and dad talk, okay? And, and this is kind of the mom and dad talk, is that as I unpack this, and as we begin to realize what, who God is, 
Okay? The weight of what we are going to talk about will begin to kind of come into clarity. Alright? And as we talk and as I begin to unpack this question, what I want you to do is, is number one, understand and realize that I'm going to cover a lot of information and there are some details that I am leaving out just because we don't have the time. Okay? For those details, I would encourage you to go study and research. And I'm going to tell you this today, like I did the past two weeks, the more I begin to study about heaven, the more excited I become about going there in my future home. And it also encourages me to tell others about Jesus Christ. Okay, Especially when we get to this question that we have today. And I hope that after uh, we're kind of done here today, I hope you don't just walk out of here. I hope rather you run out of here <laughs> with a burden to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody. And that burden is so great that you don't care what you look like. You don't care what you sound like. All that's on your mind is just simply saying, I have to tell somebody about Jesus. Okay? Now, <coughs> my job is not to give you my opinion. Okay? My job is to simply give you what Scripture says and try and unpack that so we can understand it. So that's what the attempt is going to be today. I'm sure afterwards there's going to be a lot of questions. I'd love to hang around and talk with you about it. But here's the question, okay? And this is a very common question. The problem with the answer to this question is that we get a lot of pithy answers, you know? And people say things and, oh, it kind of makes you feel good and emotional. But you really just... You, you don't know. And so I really want to dig down into this question. And the question is simply this. If our loved ones are in hell, will that spoil heaven? That's a good question though, isn't it? If our loved ones are in hell, is that going to spoil heaven? Now, we have to begin with this, is that some people have argued that people in heaven won't even know that hell exists. There are theologians out there that will say that. Hey, listen, when we're in heaven, we won't even know that hell exists. This, this means that heaven's joy is dependent on our ignorance, which is nowhere taught in Scripture. Scripture is constantly encouraging us to grow in our knowledge an understanding of God and the world He created and the universe He created and what He created. And it does not stop here on earth. Rather, it continues in heaven. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7, which, by the way, our main passage today is going to be Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, if you want to turn there. But if you're taking notes, I'm going to be blazing through these Scripture passages pretty quick. But it says this, 1 Corinthians 2.7 No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for glory before time began. So we know that there are mysteries that are hidden and we know that there is a destiny, there is a future for us to know and to understand more than what we know and understand 
now. We are not only destined for glory, but we also are destined to learn some of the mysteries of God. And so this for us, especially as Christians, promotes an attitude of learning and discovery, not only here on earth, but also in heaven. One of the things growing up, my dad used to always say, he said, there's one thing about education. No one will ever say education can hurt you. And there's a lot of truth to that. No one has ever said, well, I can't believe you went to school. Has anybody ever said that? Man, how dumb are you for going to school? Nobody says that. What do we say? You're going to school? Good job. You're going to college? Good job. You're getting a master's? Good job. You keep on educating yourself. Some of you are here for the purpose of learning, right? Good job. That's biblical. God wants us to learn. God does not want us, nor does He desire us to be ignorant. God wants us to be educated. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. And God raised us up in Christ and seated us with Him in heavenly realms in Jesus Christ in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Jesus Christ. That word in Ephesians 2, 6, to show means to reveal, and the phrase in the coming age indicates that there will be a progression, an ongoing revelation in heaven that we will learn more and more and more. And also here on earth, what are we doing? We learn more and more and more. The problem is here on earth, we have such a limited time to learn so much. Uh, They say that uh, our information and knowledge uh, back like 10 years ago used to double every 18 months. Now that timeline has shrunk. Our information and knowledge of the world and what's in it and the universe and what is in it doubles now every 12 months. And that cycle is continuing to quicken. Okay? So... God does not want us to live in ignorance. So for someone to say, well, we won't know that uh, hell exists in heaven, that, that is completely ignorant. We are going to know and understand that. It is completely counter to who God is and who He wants us to be. God does not want us to be ignorant of the fact that there is a hell. He told us while on earth, Jesus even says, hey, listen, there is a hell. Why would we be all of a sudden ignorant of that fact in heaven? That logic does not make sense. Okay, so we have to understand this is a very logical. It makes sense. What I know here on earth, I'm going to know in perfection up in heaven. However, there are people that choose to be ignorant. There are people that choose not to study. There are people that choose not to pay attention. They choose to remain, for lack of a better term, stupid. They want to be like that. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, it says this, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. 
It is because their hearts are hard that people say, hey, listen, I don't want to know. I don't care to know. I don't need, you know what, I'll just figure it out as I go along or even as I go along, I'm not even going to try and figure it out. It is due to the hardening of our hearts that we choose to remain ignorant. People that study the Bible, okay, have a soft heart. People that study the Word of God have a soft heart. Some of you might walk in here and you think, hey, I'm a man's man. But deep down inside, the whole reason why you're studying is because, hey, you have a soft heart. You want to know about the things of God. You want to know about the things that God has created. So God does not want us to remain ignorant, not only here on earth, but also in eternity. Now, I've digressed from the main question, but we have to understand that it is important for us to study and that for us, we need to study. We have to study. God has given us so much in this world to study. Some of you have your own uh, 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 areas of expertise that you've spent your whole life developing and working. You have hobbies that you focus on and that's all you spend your time on that you are studying and learning and focusing on. I know some of you, how many of you are fly fishers in here? I knew a couple fly fishers and you know what's fascinating is they first started out, you know, they got their first fly reel and all this, that and the other and they got their little um, uh, uh, lures and stuff and now all of a sudden they've developed so far into into fly fishing that now they are creating and making their own lures. And there's one guy I know, he started creating his own lures and other guys started going, hey, I want one of those. And now he's starting to develop a business where he just makes lures for other people. All of a sudden this hobby that he has spent so much time focused on and learning is beginning to, to develop into a business. God wants us to grow in our wisdom and knowledge, not only in the things of this world, but also in him so i've digressed but ignorance is not a state of bliss ignorance we've used that term ignorance is bliss no it's not it's not and we should stop telling ourselves that when we learn more about heaven and who god is and when we learn more about God, in heaven, our worship and awe of Him will continue to develop. As we learn more about God here on earth, does not our worship of Him tend to grow? Have you ever thought about that? The more I learn about God, then when I walk into a worship service and we start singing, all of a sudden when I learn about God's faithfulness and how true He has been to me and how many times I have let Him down, and then when we sing that great song, Great is Thy faithfulness, all of a sudden, there's so much more to that song. Is there not? Great is Thy faithfulness, morning by morning, new mercies I see. Because I've grown in my faith. And so when we look into heaven, and we look at our loved ones, knowing that our loved ones are in hell, does that spoil heaven? And here is the answer. So please listen very, very carefully. And do not be ignorant. 
First of all, Scripture tells us that the martyrs, those that have gone to heaven and who have paid the ultimate price with their lives for following Jesus Christ, desire justice and call out for God's justice on their behalf. Understand this, the martyrs call to God for justice. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, it says this, <coughs> When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who have been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had been maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was, was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. Notice here that they call out to God. These martyrs, okay, they call out to God, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true? How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true? Holy people in the presence of a holy God, get this, desire righteousness and justice. Holy people in the presence of a holy God see sin for what sin really is. And God hates sin. And God's people now in heaven have a desire to see sin judged. Now let me expand upon this just for a second. But our perspective of sin is going to change when we get to heaven. You get this? Our perspective on sin is going to change when we get to heaven. For we will see sin from the perspective of perfection. Right now, we do not live in a perfect world. But in heaven, we will get to see sin from God's perspective, from God's perfect perspective. It is Satan's desire that we look at sin as kind of a nuisance here on earth. And that's what a lot of us as Christians, I believe, we unfortunately do. We look at it as something that happens and we say, Oh, well, I'm sorry, Lord, please forgive me. And then we just kind of move on. Or we say, Oops, screwed up, whatever. And we try to minimize the requirement of God's perfection. Do not be foolish to think that your goodness outweighs your sinful thoughts and desires. Do not be foolish to think, well, I'll just make it up to God later. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that, especially from God's perspective. Those who have been killed for their faith, they call out for justice to God who is holy and true. And you see the response there in verse 11. They call out to God and they say, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, when will you avenge what has happened to us? And what does God say in His goodness and in His mercy? Wait just a little longer, boys. Hold on, ladies. Slow down. The full number 
has not happened. We ask the question all the time here on earth. Man, God, are you going to do something about that? God, are you going to avenge all these people that have done wrong? Guess what? The same question is being asked in heaven by the martyrs. When are you going to avenge? When are you going to bring your goodness and your justice and your righteous judgment on the inhabitants of the earth? When are you going to do that, Lord? And what does God say? Hold on. Hold your horses. David Allen Campbell said this. You're absolutely right. And I quote, you're absolutely right. Only God can judge you. And that should be one of the scariest truths in your life. Only God can judge you. And that should be one of the scariest truths of your life. So first, there is a call for justice. And then secondly, Scripture states that at a time of judgment, get this, there will be a time of judgment when there will be rejoicing over God's judgment because His judgment is holy, righteous, and true. You with me on that? There will be a rejoicing for God's judgment because His judgment is holy, it is righteous, and it is true. In Revelation chapter 17 and 18, it talks about the judgment of Babylon. Now, I don't have a whole lot of time to go into Babylon, but in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, Babylon is referenced. It's referenced both spiritually and physically. What we do need to understand about Babylon, especially in the Old Testament, is at one point in time, Babylon ruled the known earth, and they ruled not only with an iron fist, but if you, they were very, very pagan, if you did not believe the way they believed, they forced you, they tortured you, they did whatever they wanted to do to you. Okay? They did not care about you or anything that you believed. Okay? They were a pagan, they were a hard, they were a tough, merciless society until 539, I believe, uh, B.C., and then all of a sudden it kind of went away. The Old Testament references Babylon. The New Testament in Peter, he references Babylon. And then in Revelation, we see Babylon, the term reappear, <coughs> specifically in Revelation chapter 17 and 18. In Babylon, referring to Revelation chapter 17 and 18, is the result of the apostasy against God's plan of salvation. The city of Babylon in Revelation 17 is referred to as a spiritual condition. In other words, Revelation chapter 17 talks about the spiritual condition of Babylon. And the spiritual condition is not pro-God. As a matter of fact, it is the antithesis of God. It is all about self. It is all about you. It is all about what you want. It's everything the devil wants you to believe. That is the spiritual condition of Babylon in Revelation chapter 17. In Revelation chapter 18, it talks about the physical condition of Babylon. It talks about the physical condition both politically and economically. 
the people who have not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and choose to live in their sin are represented in Scripture by being called Babylon. All throughout Scripture. The people that choose to live in their sin all throughout Scripture is represented by being called Babylon. And at the end of chapter 18, God brings His judgment on all sinners. Those that have chosen to reject Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And those in heaven are called to rejoice. In Revelation chapter 18, verse 20, it says this, Rejoice over her, you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets. For God has judged her with the judgment she imposed on you. You see, we will embrace God's holiness and God's justice. And for those of us as Christians, we will not be sad. Rather, we will rejoice not in what happens to the people. We rejoice that God is holy and that God is true and that justice has been served. You see, when justice is served, people celebrate. Proverbs 21, 15, When justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. Wow. Proverbs 21, 15, When justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. Now, notice here in Revelation 18.20, at the end it says, For God has judged her with the judgment she imposed on you. Our sin forces God to have to deal with us. Okay? Our sin forces God to have to judge us. Alright? I used to live out in Jacksboro. 20 minutes west or east of Jacksboro, there's this little town called Runaway Bay. How many of y'all ever been through Runaway Bay? All right. <coughs> okay, if you blink, you miss it. But I'm going to tell you this, you need to keep your eyes wide open on 380 to go through Runaway Bay. And here's why. <coughs> the cops are notorious for writing you a speeding ticket. And they will write you a speeding ticket for going one mile an hour over the speed limit. Right? They'll write you a ticket. All right, hey, you were doing 56 and a 55. So I learned real quick, like my third week there in Jacksboro, somebody pulled me inside and they said, hey, listen, Pastor, we love you. And so we don't want you to get any speeding tickets. You need to make sure when you go through Runaway Bay that you set your cruise control on like 53 miles an hour, okay? Go below the speed limit, okay? And set your cruise control and everything will be fine and you'll never get a ticket. I never got a ticket in Runaway Bay. I got one in Bridgeport, okay, which is right next door to Runaway Bay. But I didn't get one in Runaway Bay. But here, here's what we need to understand, okay. We look at that and we will look at that cop that pulled us over for going 56 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour zone. And what do we want to say? Come on, it's one mile an hour over. Guys, the law is the law is the law. It didn't matter if I was doing one mile an hour or 100 miles an hour over the speed limit. 
I broke the law going 56 miles an hour. So therefore, the law has a right to deal with me. You know why? Because I broke the law. So when we sin, God is forced to have to deal with us and our sin. He has to bring His judgment. He has to bring... His righteousness into play into our lives. That's why sending Jesus Christ was so important. Is because it allows God to give us grace through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? <laughs> I mean, all of a sudden the cross is beginning to make a whole lot more sense the more I studied this. And the more I realized when Jesus Christ died upon the cross, He truly saved us from God's judgment because my sin God is because of my sin God is forced to have to deal with me when I break the law the judge is forced to have to deal with my infraction J.I. Packard wrote this and I quote <coughs> God the Father and God the Son will be a final judgment, express wrath, and administer justice against rebellious humans. God's holy righteousness will hereby be revealed. God will be doing the right thing, vindicating Himself at last against all those who have defied Him. God will judge justly, and all angels, saints, and martyrs will praise Him for it. So it seems inescapable that we shall with them approve the judgment of persons, rebels, and whom we have known and loved. That comes from J.I. Packard, his book, Hell's Final Enigma, page 84. <clears throat> you can also look up other scripture references, Matthew 25, John 5, 22 through 29, Romans 2, 5 to 16, 12 and 19. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9, Revelation 18, 1 to 19, 3, and Revelation 20, 11 through 15. So when you see judgment that comes to those who do not love Jesus Christ, our focus will not be on their eternal destination, nor our separation from them. Rather, our focus will be on God's righteous and holy judgment. Remember, our joy comes from our relationship with Jesus Christ and with God. Our joy does not come from the relationship that we have with others. Our joy comes from our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we will see sin through God's perfection. We will see sin through the lens of eternal wisdom. The great white throne judgment will be the final judgment and punishment and penalty. Those who stand at the white throne judgment will also be those that have rejected Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. There's some competing thoughts on this, but in a nutshell, you have the Bema seat. The Bema seat is the seat that all Christians go to where we receive our reward from Jesus Christ. The great white throne judgment is exactly what it sounds like. It is the pure judgment of sin 
and evil and the casting of those out from the presence of God and into the lake of fire. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, it says this. John is writing, he says, And I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. I was talking with a deacon back at my old church a couple years ago, and he made this quote, and I couldn't help it. I have to quote him. His name's Clinton Ferris. He's just a common guy. Uh, he's a great man, great deacon over there at First Jacksboro. He, he owns his own uh, surveying company. He's kind of in the civil engineering field. But he said this. He came up to me one day, and we were talking about this very topic. And he said, and I quote, he said, Justin, he said, I believe we have marshmallowed heaven and hell in church. I believe we've marshmallowed it. I believe we've made it to be kind of nice and fun and oh there's heaven yay and oh there's hell boo and that's that's kind of how we 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 see about it but scripture warns us and it is no secret about god's wrath and judgment against sin and against those who have refused to ask for forgiveness and so I would just like to simply say, relent from your selfish ways and repent for holy judgment will come. Holy judgment will come. And Paul warns us of this. In Romans chapter 2, verses 5-10, through 10, it says this, Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when His righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. <laughs> there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. Verse 9, wow. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew and then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew and then for the Gentile. People will get what they deserve, but understand this, we all deserve hell. We all deserve it. I deserve it. You deserve it. There's nothing we can do to earn our way to heaven. No one deserves heaven. Romans says what? For the wages of sin is what? Death. That's what it is. Physical death and spiritual death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We deserve hell. We deserve separation from God. We deserve punishment. But Jesus made a way for us. There is no excuse for not trusting 
Jesus Christ as your personal Lord. There's no excuse. God has made a way. Romans 1, 18-23, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since from what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since creation, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. We are without excuse, for although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave Him thanks. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. And you can also throw in other stuff like money and fame and power and the list can go on and on. Paul wrote this back to those in in Rome and to the Romans. Guess what? It still applies to us today. I look at our society And what are they telling us? You don't know. We know better than you do. Do you know as much as God? Hence, Jesus came to this earth and died upon the cross for salvation to all. 1 John 2.2 He, meaning Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. God is absolutely sovereign. And He does not desire anyone to perish. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you. Listen to this. He is patient with you. When I read that passage, and then I go back and I think about those martyrs in heaven calling out, Oh, sovereign God, when are you going to judge? When are you going to avenge our death? When are you going to judge? And what does God say? Hold on. Everybody just wait. This is God just saying, just wait. Just wait. Hold on. There's some more that need my grace, goodness, and salvation. The Lord is not willing... Let me go back and start that verse over. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But everyone to come to repentance. Jesus calls us to Him. He calls us to Him. And so, kind of as we wrap up here, just real quick... I want to tell you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, today is the day of salvation. Immediately after today, let's, let's talk about it. For some of you here, I hope that this kind of lights a fire underneath you. I hope you sit there and you say, hey, there's one day when God's going to bring His judgment and I'm just going to call out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of His glory. There will be one day when I just call out, holy, holy, holy even in His judgment. Because His judgment is righteous, it is just, and it is true. Our focus is not going to be on those being judged. 
our focus is going to be rather on the judge and calling out His goodness and His grace and His love for us. Um, I know this is kind of different. I glazed over a lot. But I, I want to encourage you, get into this, study it, know it, and I hope you, uh, you come to an understanding of what God desires from each man here to lead his family to grow closer with God. If we could, please, every man, just get on your knees real quick. Every man, get on your knees and let's close out here in prayer. I know some of you probably have questions and we'll talk about those afterwards. Sorry this was so heavy, <coughs> but God gets heavy sometimes, doesn't He? And we need it. Justin Frazier, if you would, please close us out in prayer. Y'all have a great week.